morning. I would say it's good to be here, but I feel like that doesn't even really begin to express the gratitude that we have for the weekend that we've spent here with you. It's been such a great weekend. Um, Everybody keeps apologizing for the snow when they hear we're from Texas, Uh, but honestly, whenever you're used to 100-degree days, like 10 months out of the year, this is kind of nice change of pace, and so uh, we've really loved it this weekend. It's been uh, really great getting to know this congregation, and um, here in a moment, uh, as you can tell from the verse we just read, uh, we're going to be spending our time in Philippians this morning. And um, if you're familiar with Philippians chapter 2, Paul is encouraging the Christians in Philippi to have in their relationships uh, Christ-like love. And it's been so special being here. And one thing that is so evident to us is that this is a congregation that has Christ-like love. And so I just want to thank you. Uh, for just treating us with such hospitality and uh, just for our time here. It's been really great. Whitney and I, we come from Stephenville, Texas, which is home to Tarleton State University. And if you've never heard of that before, that's okay, uh, because Texas, uh, like half of it hasn't heard of Stephenville or Tarleton State University. Uh, They're usually like Charleston. No, it's Tarleton. But uh, if you've never heard of Stephenville, we're kind of right in the middle of Texas. We're not very far from Fort Worth and Dallas. And there's a few things that the town is known for. And um, I believe Lexington, they're known for being like the horse capital of the world, something like that. Is that right? So Stephenville is really big into rodeo, um, and they're known as the cowboy capital of the world. So it kind of, you know, kind of goes together there. Uh, I know y'all's horse stuff is a little bit different. Y'all are more into the racing. Uh, We're also really big, Erath County, where Stephenville is, it's really big in the dairy industry. Um, And so uh, we're we're the county seat. We've got the courthouse. And, you know, most downtowns like that, they've got, like, statues of war heroes or statues of their namesake. We have a nice big statue of a Holstein dairy cow named Moolah uh, right there by the courthouse uh, when you drive by. Uh, We're also weirdly known for aliens. Uh, When I was a senior in high school, about 2008, uh, we had some UFO uh, sightings, and so we were on, like, every major news station and... If you get on Hulu, I think there's still some TV shows where people have come and, you know, interviewed a bunch of our people. But, uh, and then we're also known for our high school football, uh, the Stephenville Yellow Jackets. Um, and so they've won several state championships. And I remember whenever I was talking to the committee uh, about a month ago, I think it was Brian Dyer that asked if we were like the movie Friday Night Lights. Um, and honestly, yeah, that's kind of spot on uh, from a culture standpoint. And so... That kind of gives you an idea of where we're from. But Tarleton, it's a Division I college. Uh, we've been uh, doing campus ministry there for about seven years um, and have really enjoyed our time there. Um, and as native Texans, we also really love Kentucky. Uh, we've both got family kind of up in this area. Uh, I've got a lot of family in Lewis County in the Tollsboro area, if you know where that is. That's where my grandmother grew up. Uh, and I've got lots of cousins and aunts and uncles that are still there. And then Whitney, she has some family uh, down near the Nashville area in Tennessee. And so we've been up here several times before. Uh, We love the area, and it's just such a beautiful part of the country. This morning, what I want to talk about is confidence. And, you know, it's really fun, I think, whenever you're extremely confident in something or about something, and then it turns out that you were right. You know, there's something fun about being able to say, yes, I knew it, or yes, I told you so. 
uh, that's just a little bit satisfying to us. And Whitney and I, we like to play this game sometimes where if we hear a song on the radio, uh, we'll try to guess who the singer is. And typically, if it's somebody that I know, uh, if I've heard a song by them before, I can usually recognize it pretty quick. And then Whitney, on the other hand, if she hears a song, she might not know if it's George Strait or Justin Timberlake. And so typically, it ends up being a game of Whitney just trying to stump me because she's like, I already know I'm not going to know who it is. Um, and sometimes she thinks that she stumped me, and she's like, who's this? And you know, has it on her phone or whatever. And... For whatever reason, I get this kick out of being able to get the answer right and then her just rolling her eyes and being like, oh, you are so ridiculous. Um, On the other hand, I think one of the most embarrassing things is whenever you're really, really confident about something and then it turns out that you are wrong. Another thing that we like to do oftentimes, uh, it's kind of our stay-at-home date night type of thing, um, is watch movies uh, together. And so there was this one night I was scrolling through Netflix or one of the streaming services and just looking for a movie to watch. And there was this Bruce Willis movie. I think it came out in the early 2000s. It's called Unbreakable. I don't know if any of y'all have seen that, but it was something that looked really interesting to me, and it was also familiar. I knew that I had come across it before, but I thought maybe we had seen it some other night as we were scrolling through movies to watch and maybe watched the trailer and thought, no, nah, we're kind of feeling something different. Like, we can watch that another time. And so on this particular night, I turned to Whitney and I said, hey, you know what? We never watched this. Why don't we try it out tonight? And then she responded kind of with a surprised look on her face. Taylor, we've already watched that. We definitely have seen that together. And, of course, I'm like, no, I've never seen this movie before. I think I would remember having watched it. And of course, Whitney, she's not backing down. And so she says, Taylor, I'm 100% sure that we watched this movie together. Like, I know we did. And I'm not really one to back down sometimes in an argument either. And so I say, well, I'm 100% sure I've never seen this movie before. So you must have watched it with your other husband. (laughs) So of course, there was no way to resolve this disagreement other than for us to watch the movie that night. And I don't know why it was, but it wasn't until, like, seriously, the end of the movie, it was like one of the last scenes, that something finally clicked, and I finally remembered, it's like, oh, I definitely have seen this, I remember this scene. (laughs) And how it took me that long to recognize that I've seen the movie before, I have no idea, and I really thought about just pretending that I hadn't seen it and not saying anything to Whitney, (laughs) but I came clean, and so she got to tell me. I told you so. But with the subject of confidence in mind, what I want to talk about this morning is the confidence that Paul displays in his letter to the Philippians during a time in his life that I imagine wasn't the easiest situation to have such confidence in. And what I want us to notice is that Paul's confidence, it comes from a place that we can trust. So as we're going to look at his example here this morning, my hope is that it will bring us to a place where we can start to have that same confidence as Paul, not because of ourselves, but because of Christ. If you would pray with me. God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. God, I'm so thankful that this cooler weather has not stopped us from being able to meet together as your people. And God, I pray that this morning as we look at your word, that you'll open our hearts and our minds to receive it, God, I pray 
that your living word will do what we've seen it do so many times before, that it'll change us, that it'll make us more like you, God. And Lord, I pray that as we leave here, that you will use this congregation to reach this community, to reach the campus for your kingdom, God. And I pray that the message this morning can encourage them in that in some way. God, we thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So when I was in college, I used to go with some friends every Thursday night to this student worship service for college students. It was at one of the local churches. And each week they would bring in a new uh, a speaker. It was the same guy every week. And it was a guy named John Randalls. And John, he was one of those kind of guys that you could listen to him over and over again and just never really get tired of it. And he could talk for 60 minutes and it would feel like 20. You know, he had this way of just being able to speak in ways that were really profound, really deep, but at the same time, really easy to understand and comprehend. And I remember as a young college kid listening to this guy preach. And there was this one phrase that he would frequently say, during his lessons, he would say, I know who I am, I know who I serve, and I know where I'm going. You know, years later, later now, I've uh, been able to remember some of those things that he used to preach about, but not a lot of them. But this phrase, it's always stuck with me. And I don't know if he, you know, if he stole the idea from Paul. I don't know if he got that idea from Paul. But over the last month, I've been studying through Philippians with another student. Um, and those statements, I know who I am, I know who I serve, I know where I'm going, just continued to pop into my head as I read through Philippians because Paul seems to have that same assurance. You know, I think Philippians, it has several what I would call bumper sticker worthy verses. You know, some of those one-liners that seems like everybody knows them, uh, including, of course, what I think is every athlete's favorite verse, I'm sure y'all can probably guess it, Philippians 4.13. And, you know, I always I like to find stuff like this on Google Images because, you know, when Paul, when he wrote it, he absolutely had in mind that if you want to hang dangerously from a cliff with one arm, then you absolutely can do that through Christ who strengthens you. No, but uh, that's probably the, the most well-known verse, but there's another well-known verse in Philippians, and it comes out of chapter 1, verse 21, and it's where Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know, Paul, he wants the Philippians to know, as he writes to them from prison, that for him, as long as there's air in his lungs, as long as he's got a beat in his chest, he's going to be sharing the gospel with anybody that's going to listen. And at the same time, he wants them to know he's not afraid of death. In fact, he's looking forward to it. He considers it far greater being with Christ than being here on earth. But this morning, I want you to recognize Paul can't say this. He can't say to live as Christ and to die as gain unless he's fully confident in three things. Who he is, who he serves, and where he's going. And these things, they come up throughout the letter. So I want to show you what I mean by that. I'm going to start with that first one. I know who I am. Paul, he's able to remain strong in his faith regardless of circumstances because he was fully confident 
in what his earthly purpose was. He was confident that wherever God led him, it was for God's glory and that even in chains, he could share the gospel and glorify God. And so he wants the Philippians to know, even though I'm in chains, God is still using me. He's still working through me. My purpose is still being fulfilled. You know, to Paul, prison was just another opportunity to do exactly what God put him here to do. And he tells them this. If you look at chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And Paul, he knows who he is. And everywhere that he goes, in whatever situation he finds himself in, that purpose, it doesn't change. I want to look at that second statement. I know who I serve. Not only was Paul confident in what his purpose was, but he was also grounded in where his strength, where his power, and where his ability came from. He knew that everything he did, it wasn't really him doing it, but it was God working through him. His confidence was not in himself, but it was in his God. I want you to listen to what he writes in chapter 3. We read this a moment ago. Starting in verse 3, he says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You know, Paul says, if anybody has a reason to boast, I do. And that sounds a little bit like bragging, doesn't it? But I think it's actually the opposite. I think what Paul is trying to let the Philippians know is that, you know, no matter how impressive, no matter how spectacular your human achievements are, it has no value compared to the great worth of knowing Christ. And so his confidence, it's not in the flesh, it's in Christ. Looking ahead to chapter 4, starting in verse 6, we again see Paul communicating his trust God says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then just a few verses later, 
Chapter 4, starting in verse 12, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. When we find our strength and our identity in Christ, we're able to have confidence because we're no longer limited by our own ability and by our own strength. But we have God working in us and working through us, giving us the power to do things that we could never even dream of doing on our own. I want to look at that third statement. I know where I'm going. Paul was able to fulfill his purpose relentlessly because he was confident in where he was headed. Now, he wasn't afraid to suffer. He was not afraid to die. And so there was nothing that could keep him from doing what God put him here to do. Listen to what Paul writes. We're going to go back to chapter 1, starting in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Again, going back to chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then I've got just one more, staying in chapter 3, looking at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Knowing our eternal future, it gives us the confidence to relentlessly pursue our earthly purpose without fear of anything. When we know where we're going, it allows us to keep from clinging too tightly to the things of this world and holding on to the comforts that may hinder us from fulfilling our God-given purpose. So we've kind of seen in Philippians how Paul displays that confidence in who he is, who he serves, and where he's going. And so what I want to turn to now this morning is what about you? And what if we were to look at those three statements as if they were questions for us? Where's our confidence at? So I want to do that. We're going to try it out. Start again with that first one. Do you know who you are? Are you clear about your purpose? You know what God wants you to do with your life. I think too often whenever we start thinking about what we want to do with our lives, when we start thinking about this question... We start in the wrong place because we start by looking at ourselves. You know, we ask questions like, what am I passionate about? What do I want to do? And I think instead, maybe what we should be asking is, what is God passionate about? What does he want me to do with my life? 
And then just a little spoiler alert, if you are in Christ, your answer is actually the same as Paul's. In Matthew 28, at the end of the chapter, in what's often referred to as the Great Commission, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he's commissioning them to continue the work that he started. And he says, starting in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I'm not saying that every single person needs to quit their job and sell their house and move overseas as a missionary. And I'm not saying that you need to start looking uh, for jobs in a church as a, as a paid minister. But what I am saying is that I believe that God positions every single one of us wherever we are for the purpose of reaching the people around us. And I'm not sure that we always are thinking about that. If you're in Christ, the Great Commission is your mission. If you're in Christ, the Great Commission is your purpose. So that second question, do you know who you serve? Are you finding your identity in Christ? Is it him that you look to in order to find your strength? You know, I think we can rest assured in who our God is and in what he can do. And that confidence, as we see, especially in Paul's example, it doesn't come from God always making everything work out in our lives exactly the way that we expect him to. You know, I think a lot of times that's what we think it means, right? You know, we'll even pray like that sometimes to God. We'll say, God, if you're really good, I'll get the job. God, if you're really good, I'll pass the test. God, if you're really good, you're going to heal my sick friend. God, if you're really good, just fill in the blank, however. But what we see in Paul's example, and I think what we probably should be able to know from our own experience, is that our confidence in God, it's not dependent on how good we have it in life. In fact, oftentimes, it's the challenging and the most difficult moments in our life that we really are able to see God's goodness clearly. Do you remember where Paul and Silas were in Acts chapter 16 when they were thrown in prison? They were in Philippi. That's interesting, isn't it? Because the letter that we've looked at this morning, Paul's letter to the Philippians, it's not just empty words because these Christians in Philippi, they have seen Paul live it out firsthand. You know, Paul and Silas, they met opposition during their time in Philippi. And they weren't just beaten either. They, Luke tells us in Acts, he says, they were severely flogged and then thrown into jail. And you think about that, how easy it would have been to question God and his goodness in that moment. But what, is, what do Paul and Silas do? They sit in their cell, praying and worshiping throughout the night. And then what happens? God shows up in this huge way and he frees them. And then through it all, Paul's able to share the gospel. He's able to do what he does with the jailer, which resulted in the entire household giving their lives to Christ. You know, the thing 
that I always think about whenever I read about Paul, when we read Philippians, when we read through Acts and his story, is how Paul was not afraid to step out of his comfort zone. In fact, it almost seems like the more uncomfortable people tried to make things for Paul, the more productive he was, the more uh, meaningful his ministry seemed to be, the more effective his message became. And as we look throughout the Bible, there is story after story of people that are called by God to go places that they've never been and do things that they've never done. And there's story after story of God regularly showing up in unexpected ways and doing unexpected things. And you think about it, I mean, that's part of the reason why Jesus was such a polarizing figure, isn't it? Because God sent a Messiah that was not exactly what anyone expected him to be. But God working in unexpected ways, it's not just something that we get to read about. It's the same thing for us. We have that truth in our life because odds are we're not going to find our calling in our comfort zone. Odds are God's not just going to show up in ways in our life that we expect him to or want him to because that's not the way that God works and it's not the way that faith works. But we can have confidence that wherever he calls us, whatever ways he chooses to work in our lives, that he will show up And that he will come through for us in those moments. We can trust that in the moments that we feel weakest, when we feel like we have nowhere to go but up, that his power is going to be made perfect in our weakness. And so it doesn't matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. You know, we may not be able to have confidence in the sense of understanding exactly what God is doing and how he's going to do it, but we can trust fully that whatever he is doing, it's going to be for his glory, and it's going to be for our ultimate good. Because he has already proved over and over again that he will go to the greatest lengths out of his love for us. And whenever I think of it like that, how can I not have confidence in him? All right, let's look at that last question. Do you know where you're going? Are you confident in your eternal future? Are your eyes focused on heaven? Or is there something that you are still clinging to here on earth that keeps you from being able to confidently and relentlessly pursue your purpose in Christ? When we know where we're going, just like Paul, we can remain focused on our goal. We can continue to run that race of life with our eyes on the prize that is our heavenly home. I want to share a story with you. Some of you may have heard of a young man by the name of William Whiting Borden. William, he was born in the late 1800s, and he grew up in a wealthy and well-known family from Upper Chicago. And when he graduated from high school, his parents sent him on a summer-long trip around the world. And as William traveled through Europe, the Middle East, Asia, he saw so many different people groups that had no church, had no gospel. And so when he got back home to the States, he told his family and friends, I want to give my life to prepare for the mission field. And of course, 
So many of them thought he was out of his mind. And his best friend was even shocked and told him that he'd be throwing his life away as a missionary. And so that night, William wrote two words in the back of his Bible. No reserves. William went on to Yale University to further his studies, and by this time, he had fully surrendered his life to Christ. And that fall, he began a morning prayer and Bible study group that grew to 150 freshmen coming every week. And by the time that he graduated, there was over 1,300 Yale students that were in small groups that he started. During his time in college, William also started the Yale Hope Mission that helped widows, orphans, and addicts. And then he also hosted a large annual missions conference on campus to help other students catch a vision for reaching the world. Even though William was very wealthy, he lived a modest life during his time at Yale, not even bringing a car to college and giving away large sums of money to various ministries. And as he neared graduation, he felt this growing burden to plant a church among one of the hardest-to-reach people groups in the world, the Muslim Kansu in China. At graduation, he turned down several lucrative career opportunities, and after one especially tempting job offer, he went home and he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No retreats. News services around the world publish stories about this wealthy and gifted young man who turned his back on affluence and comfort to raise his own support and risk everything to go to China as a missionary. On his way there, he first stopped in Cairo, Egypt to learn Arabic, the language that these Chinese Muslims spoke. But while there, he contracted spinal meningitis and ended up dying a few weeks later at the age of 25 in a hospital room, all alone. As news traveled back to America that young William had died, many people struggled to understand his choices. Why would someone who could have had it all just throw his life away? When some of his old friends came to Cairo to pick up his belongings, they found his well-worn Bible next to the hospital bed. And in the back, beneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, William had scribbled two final words, no regrets. No regrets because William knew where he was going. And it changed everything and it influenced every decision he made in his time here on earth. Church, I pray that each one of us can grow to have the same mindset as someone like William, to be able to have the same mindset as someone like Paul, who each had the same mindset as Christ Jesus. When we are confident in our purpose, when we're confident in our identity, when we're confident in our future, we no longer feel the need to stay within the comfort zone that we're in. We know who we are we know who we serve, and we know where we're going. And we, when we do that, we're unstoppable. We are victorious. And it's not because of who we are. It's because of who God is. And church, we need all three of those things. 
You know, if I'm confident in who I serve and where I'm going, but I'm not confident in who I am and what my purpose for life is, then I'm not able to possibly live as Christ, and I'm not being fruitful with my life. If I'm confident in who I am and where I'm going, but not in who I serve, I'm constantly leaning on my own ability and trusting in the flesh instead of trusting in God's power at work within me. And if I'm confident in who I am and in who I serve, but not in where I'm going, then I'm not pursuing my purpose relentlessly because out of fear and doubt, I'm clinging to things of this world, afraid of what could happen to my life. I know who I am. I know who I serve. I know where I'm going. May these things give us the confidence to relentlessly fulfill our earthly purpose as we look ahead to our eternal future. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for giving us a purpose. I thank you for giving us a reason to live that is bigger than ourselves. It's bigger than anything that we can really comprehend on our own. And God, I thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, that gives us your power to fulfill everything that you would ever ask us to do. God, I pray that we will learn to trust in that power, Lord. And we'll stop leaning on our own understanding, stop leaning on our own strength. And God, I thank you so much for giving us an eternal hope, something to look forward to, to know that anything on this side of eternity, eternity, anything in this world is not the final word, that we have hope of an eternal resting place with you, God. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to be with us, that you'll continue to help us be your light in the world. God, here in just a minute, as we again sing together songs of worship to you, I pray that we can do that and that we can leave here today and go about our lives and do everything that we do as acts of worship for all that you have already done. God, we love you so much. God, we thank you so much for giving us the confidence that we need to be able to make it in this world and to be able to know that it's not it, that there's more to live for than what we see right in front of us. Help us keep our eyes on heaven, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship with full confidence and with gratitude for all he's done.